0: I'm Marianne kolbusak mcgee Executive Editor at Information Security Media Group. Today I'm speaking with Caleb Barlow, who was recently named CEO of security consulting firm Synergistec. Caleb will be discussing critical issues involving responding to ransomware attacks. So, Caleb, I understand that you've worked a lot on ransomware recovery situations. Give us a taste of what happens when you get called in after a healthcare entity gets hit with a ransomware attack. What are the kinds of situations you typically find when you arrive?
1: Well, the first thing that you have to do to kind of set the scene here is to realize that You know, when you find out that your company or your healthcare institution has been locked up with ransomware, it's probably the worst day you've ever had at work. You know, imagine coming into the office, it's an idle Tuesday, and somebody meets you at the front door because nothing works. And in some of these situations, it can be as simple as a few machines are locked up in one department, and you're worried about it spreading or in other cases, it can be the entire institution, not just the workstations, but sometimes even the phones and other infrastructure, because they're all running on things like voice over IP and have servers in the back end. You know, so the the first thing you have to realize is that this is a very stressful period. You know, the things you're trying to do suddenly don't work. If you're a manufacturing company, the manufacturing line may not work. If you're a hospital, you may not be able to treat patients. And what happens next is a necessary set of steps that you really need to have planned for in advance.
0: What sorts of planning should be done in advance? And also, when it comes to ransomware attacks that prevent clinicians from accessing patient records... Those situations are not only disruptive, but they can also be unsafe for patients. Do healthcare entities sometimes feel the pressure to pay a ransom even if they do have a backup plan and other sort of recovery processes in mind, thinking that paying for a decryptor might be quicker than recovering on their own?
1: Well, you know, this often enters the consideration. And of course, no one really wants to pay because at the end of the day, you're just putting money in the pockets of those that caused this act and funneling and fueling their operations to then go attack the next time. However. You know, sometimes that is an option, and it's a really tough decision to make. You never know if you pay the money if you're going to get unlocked, but this is where you want to bring in a team of professionals. And let's talk about who's on that team. So the first thing you need is an incident response team. Now, what these folks are going to do is they're highly skilled, they're highly trained, they do this all the time. You know, probably the best analog I could give you to a healthcare environment, this is kind of like a cardiac event. You know, you need cardiac surgery. You don't want just anybody doing this. You want somebody that does this type of work all day and every day. You want that best surgeon that you can find. Well, the same is true when you're responding to a ransomware incident. You want to bring in a team of people, a response team that you know, probably does this every couple of weeks and knows all the tricks and techniques to help you through this. So that's the first person you want on the team. Now, the second group of people that you need is your lawyers. And, you know, this is probably not going to be your in-house counsel. In fact, I would strongly discourage using your in-house counsel. In the same way, you want a group of people that do this all the time. There are lawyers that specialize in cybersecurity response. And you need to remember, you're up against not only the potential legal issues of paying a ransom, the potential legal issues of having a stoppage in your ability to treat patients, but you're also up against... 52 breach disclosure laws here in the United States alone. So you've got to be working with a team that can help you through that. In addition to that, one of the things that legal team is going to do is put that response under privilege because there may be things you find or decisions you make during that response process that you want to provide some level of legal protection. So this is actually going to become an attorney-directed project as soon as possible. And there's some important provisions that provides. Now the third group that's going to be part of this is crisis communications. And again, this is probably not your normal communications team. Once again, these are folks that specialize in responding to cybersecurity incidents because what you say matters, not only in informing your patients, your investors, and the public in general, but also, again, making sure you don't inadvertently say something that's going to cause more damage down the road. So that's kind of the team you bring in. Now, the next thing to think about is who are you up against? And we have to remember, this is a hard thing for executives to realize. This is probably the first time in your career that you're up against a human adversary. That adversary can see what you're doing. They can pivot. They can jog. And they can make decisions based on your actions. So there isn't a formula here. A lot of what matters is speed. You've got to make decisions faster than that adversary, if that makes any sense.
0: So, Caleb, with that said, what about dealing with the attackers? Again, you have to act fast. What should healthcare entities be prepared to ask or say to them whether they plan on paying the ransom or not?
1: Well, often a communications line is established with the attackers. That could be via text. Rarely is it by phone uh, or some form of secure messaging. And a couple of things you want to do. Now, remember, this is a business for that adversary, and it's a volume business. So in the first few hours, the adversary probably has no idea who you are or even what your institution is all about. They probably don't even realize it's a hospital nor, frankly, do they care. Those ransom demands initially may be very low. And remember, the best thing's going to happen for the bad guy if when you pay they unlock because they don't want their reputation ruined. So one potential strategy if you decide that you probably do need to pay is to pay quickly. Because remember, you're on a time clock and, you know, usually these things happen first thing in the morning. By the middle of the afternoon, That bad guy's looking at this going, hey, why haven't they paid? What's going on? I wonder who this is. And then they might start doing research. They might start figuring out who you are, and oftentimes we see that ransom demand go up. But in addition to that, remember you can communicate and that this is a business. One of the things that professionals can do is actually work with that adversary to ask for references you need to kind of figure out who's on the other side of this. You can do that by investigating the malware that was used, and a lot of times that will give an incident response team a real hint into who's behind it or at least which campaign or gang it is and whether or not they've paid before. But in addition, you can often negotiate a different price than what they may have asked for before. This is a a risky thing to do. It's something you want to, again, leave to professionals and your legal counsel to work you through, but it can be done. In addition, sometimes you'll find out, hey, the folks that have locked you up here, they locked up somebody else last week. That other person paid, and they didn't unlock, so you know right away that their reputation isn't good. And the last thing you're going to find out by learning more about who's on the other side of this is somebody may have figured out how to decrypt that particular variant of ransomware in the past. Now, these decryption keys do exist. They're a little bit exotic and hard to find. And the reason for that is the security industry doesn't want to publish these out there widely because you don't want the bad guys to know when you have the keys, when you've either cracked the code. Sometimes the bad guys are lazy, and just like we have people using the same password on systems over and over again, sometimes they'll use the same decryptor key over and over again. But sometimes, again, if you work with an incident response team that knows what they're doing, they might know who or where they can get those decryption keys if they're available. You can't always rely on it, but sometimes you get lucky.
0: Now, Caleb, you mentioned it's important to make your decisions fast, act fast, especially if you think you're going to have to pay. Because these decisions have to be made fairly quickly, at what point in this process does an organization know that, hey, we're not gonna be able to figure this out on our own, we're not gonna be able to go back to using our backups and avoid having to pay a ransom. Are there certain telltale signals you know, within your own incident response plan that might tell you, hey, we might have to pay?
1: Well, the first thing is to have an incident response plan. And I hate to say it, but most companies, even companies of size, don't have a plan that they've not only written down, but have practiced and rehearsed. And, you know, responding to a cybersecurity incident is kind of like learning how to swim. You can't just read a book. You've actually got to jump in a pool with a coach and practice it. So if you haven't practiced the plan, it's probably not going to go well. But let's say you do have a plan. You know, some of the things you're going to look for right away is you're going to look for the extent of the infection. You're also going to have a forensics team, part of that incident response team, that's going to look at the malware and reverse engineer the malware to look for signatures. Who is this? How is it locked up? How sophisticated is this? And believe it or not, that can often happen in a matter of hours. So you know, let's say you, this starts to occur by 8 o'clock in the morning. You might start to get some early indications of, how bad it is by noon time. And then you've gotta start making some decisions. One of those key decisions is looking at the integrity of your backups. Are your backups offsite? Are they disconnected? And you know, do you have not only incrementals, but past full backups? If you're in that situation, you know you've got virtual insurance here if, if in that you've got a way to get your data back if those backups are integral. On the other hand, what we see more and more often is backups or maybe live backups they are not on off-site media, and suddenly you realize the backup systems and all that data is locked up too. So a big part of what you're going to do, just like, let's say, a mass casualty incident that's coming into a hospital, is you're going to rapidly triage the situation. How bad is it? What systems are impacted? Can we continue to operate without those systems? And do we have the ability to restore from a backup? So a big part of that incident response plan, again, just like responding to a mass casualty incident, is going to be that rapid-fire triage to assess what's going on. But there's also some things that you can have in that plan. It's not just about thinking about your systems, having that inventory. It's also about making sure you've got options. So let's say you are going to pay. One of the things that I ask large institutions all the time, can you get a quarter of a million dollars in Bitcoin by 2 o'clock this afternoon? And I'm actually serious when I ask that question. Now, there are ways to do it. There are ways to do it you know, typically through a law firm that you can get access to that kind of money quickly. But I've got to tell you, most institutions have no idea where to start. And if it's going to take you another day or two to figure out how to get money in Bitcoin if you do decide to pay, You're just going to continue to delay, cause yourself more issues, and elongate your resiliency and recovery.
0: Caleb, for healthcare sector entities that have been fortunate enough to not yet face a ransomware attack, what's the most surprising things about some of these attacks that catch entities off guard and make them realize that, well, maybe we may have to deal with this situation in a different way than we thought we might otherwise?
1: Well, first of all, this is kind of the virtual equivalent of getting punched in the face. And, you know, I think when most people respond to any type of IT or business crisis, you know, they revert back to consultants and people they know and procedures. And what people have to realize, again, is you're up against a human. They can continue to keep virtually punching you until you start punching back. And that's a big part of where people struggle. I'll tell you, the biggest surprise I have that I see over and over again is the inability of executives to make a decision when a crisis like this has occurred. Who's going to make that decision? Who needs to review it? Can you get them in a room quickly? If you operate in your organizational structure during a large-scale cybersecurity incident, it's not going to go well because somebody's on a plane somebody you can't find, and you can't convene to make those decisions. The organizations that do really well are those that move to more of an incident command system, just like, again, you would in a large-scale incident in a hospital, where those people that are there, that are in the room, can triage the situation and make those decisions quickly.
0: And Caleb, any tips for healthcare entities in terms of their business continuity, being able to continue to provide services to their patients while they may be dealing with a crisis like this, whether they recover on their own or they pay a ransom. In the meantime, you have all this chaos going on. Any particular tips in dealing with that situation at the time?
1: Well, this is a big part of our business at Synergistic. And the the point that we're always raising to people is that a cybersecurity incident Of consequence is also a business continuity incident. And interestingly enough, most business continuity incidents now also have either an IT or a cyber component as well. So the first point here is you've got to start to link these things, right? If your business continuity plan doesn't have a cybersecurity component to it, it's time to get it updated, and vice versa if your cybersecurity response plan isn't linked to your business recovery plan, it's time to get that to happen too. Because, you know, in the first few hours of this, again, let's take a hospital. If your entire emergency room is locked up, you might be able to continue operations, but you're going to have to do it on paper. A lot of that's going to depend on on the institution and how tightly linked they are to their IT systems. You know, on the other hand, you're going to have to be able to make some decisions without your IT systems on what you're going to do. Are you going to start moving patients? Are you going to start canceling procedures? All of that needs to be thought out ahead of time of how do I operate without these systems in place? And I'll tell you what one of the hardest things is for people to realize that they often forget is how do I communicate? Unfortunately, all the ways we typically communicate nowadays are all in one way or another tied back to those IT systems. Again, it's not uncommon for not only all the computers to go down, but all the phones to go down because they're voice over IP. And interestingly enough, inside of a lot of hospitals, there are cell towers inside the hospital, what are called femtocells. If those go down as well, even the cell phones, you know although they might be able to hit a tower outside the institution, they're probably not going to work great. So you've really got to think through... How do I build a plan? How do I operate that plan effectively with degraded communications?
0: Speaking of communications, do the email systems generally get impacted as well?
1: Oh, those are usually the first thing to go down. I mean, I'll I'll give you a good example, and this is public. Maersk, the global shipping giant, when they were hit via NotPetya, one of the things that their CEO talked about in a public presentation is that they were communicating with each other via WhatsApp because it's the only thing that worked it's the only system they had available for the executives to communicate and orchestrate their response was literally a social media product. Now, one of the things I find fascinating about that story as well is executives at Maersk issued something that we call a commander's intent. It's a concept that came out of the military, and it's basically a couple-line of statement of what matters during a large-scale incident. So, for example, if you had a commander in warfare that said, hey, take that hill by any means possible, that commander's intent is very different than a military commander saying, hey, take that hill with the lowest loss of life possible. But you understand immediately what the intent is and what you need to do. And this allows decisions to be made at a lower level with limited communication. Now, Maersk issued a commander's intent. Their CEO, in a matter of hours, told everyone, again, this is proliferating out via texting trees and WhatsApp, do what is right by the customer. Do not wait for headquarters. We will accept all costs. Now, that's a pretty amazing story of leadership because it immediately tells people what to do. What did their team tool? They got ships into port. They got things tied up at the docks. They made the decisions that were necessary even without being able to communicate with the headquarters. And what I think we need to think about in the healthcare realm is how do we build that same level of commander's intent of what is the process that we're going to follow when a large-scale ransomware incident occurs, and how are we going to make sure everybody knows exactly what their job is when that happens.
0: And finally, Caleb, very briefly, is there... Any top prediction that you have about what we might see in terms of ransomware attack trends here from now to the end of the year?
1: Unfortunately, all signs are that this will continue to grow. And, you know, in fact, we see some signs that there may be even nation-state actors that are leveraging this to, again, fuel some of their efforts. So, unfortunately... We don't see this slowing down anytime soon. But the good news is these types of attacks are preventable. And more importantly, knowing how to respond can make the difference from this being a small, isolated incident versus it taking down your whole
0: institution. Thanks, Caleb. I've been speaking to Caleb Barlow. I'm Marianne Kolbusek mcgee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.